Welcome to the other side of midnight. Tonight we have with us a very special, wonderful guest that I happened to see at the Living Life Expo. This is Kinzia filling in for Richard C. Hoagland. And uh, he sends you all his very best. Our guest tonight is Robert Perala. And the topic is extraterrestrials and the nature of existence. Later on, we'll be joined by Georgia Lambert. And uh, Robert is like, he's got a very diverse background. Just briefly touching on it, he's an internationally acclaimed author of The Divine Blueprint and the new revised edition of The Divine Architect. His books and life's work were inspired by an event that occurred in 1977 when he was taken aboard a spacecraft by three extraterrestrial astronauts. He was returned sunburned, covered in a honey oil-like substance. He is a U.S. correspondent and host of his own Perala Report on Facebook and has been featured on CNN, Showtime, and Coast to Coast AM, just to name a few. You can find more out more about Robert at robertperala.com. That's Robert, P-E-R-A-L-A.com. So welcome, Robert. Welcome to the other side of midnight. Hi, Cynthia. Great to be on your show. And um, greetings from uh, the West Coast in California here. <laughs> I'm on the West Coast with you, so yes. Good. It was such a delight running into you the other day at the Living Life Expo, so I'm truly grateful. And uh, for our audience, maybe you'd like to excuse me, share a little how you happen to know Richard. Oh, gosh. You know, it's almost incredible. I, I don't know if Richard even remembers this, but Richard goes back, way back. He's probably the preeminent researcher when it comes to extraterrestrial science and, uh, you know, is consulting with NASA and who knows. I met, I believe the first time I met Richard actually was at the first UFO conference of its kind in April of 1978 when it was headed up by Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And there was, if I remember right, there was a young Richard Oakland there. The Hertex, J.J. Uh, Desiree Hertex were there. There was a young Stanton Friedman. And there was a, uh, and then there was William Shatner. Oh, my gosh. From Star Trek fame. And, um, but I knew Richard later on. I actually met Richard formally again much later on. And, and then was in um, several expos with him, you know. And, and a lot of times I would... Uh, be asked to introduce him as an MC, and then I would sit like everyone else and wonder in the in the uh, first five rows and listen to uh, a download that would make your hair turn green. <laughs> That's for sure. It's a ton of fun and very uh, very powerful. Uh, really a, a remarkable a remarkable guy and a researcher in every sense of the word. Well, you have an amazing snapshot of history. I mean, I think you could probably tell our audience about so many unique uh, experiences that few ever get. And I'm so curious. And um, did you, you, you had a chance to also know Robin, isn't that so? I did. I had the pleasure of knowing Robin for, oh, you know, a, a few years there as I hosted, um, you know, our MC expos, it would, it would cause me to run into her and, 
And uh, I actually uh, had quite a number of meetings with her. Um, I, I always felt Robin was uh, very much you know, an academic for sure. So for me, it was like, wow, this is somebody with a very serious educational background. And she was in, the, she was in um, oriental medicine and um, homeopathy. And, um, you know, was, on a, was a really a diplomat on the uh, National Board of uh, home, uh, Homeopathic um, homeopathic um, uh, Examiners. And, and um, really, she was extraordinary in health. I, I Most of my conversations dealt in uh, how was I going to get well, and she was always right there for me to, to give me some little anecdotes for living. I found her always very charming and um, very, very educated and uh, very, very graceful, very beautiful woman, very beautiful soul in every sense of the word, because, you know, when you meet people, they all have a certain kind of vibe and, and they'll move you this way or that way. And, and Robin always was very present, I, I noticed, which was a wonderful thing in her body. She was always very, very present and, uh, and very charming and very supportive. And I think um, she brought a lot. Um, a lot to this life and a lot to Richard uh, as far as supporting him because he's on the road, you know, all that time. God bless her. Um, I think the good news maybe later on in the program when we when we talk about the origin of the soul and and these matters, you know, the nice thing is, is you know, we, we, we can take comfort um, in the fact uh, that, and it's not always easy, but uh, when we, we all have lost somebody, we all tend to lose a parent or, or a, a, a loved one or a spouse or, or worse yet, even a child. 35 years of research on my end, and I'm 63 now, Cynthia, shows us that we mm-hmm. definitely see them again. And no one gets off this planet with resolved business. We all rejoin again and then find uh, what we didn't resolve. And, uh, and the nice thing is, is that there's a sense of love, hope, and wonder when we meet them. It's, it's startling to the soul when they cross over that there are many that are there actually waiting for us. It's not just a movie. It's actually that's the way the universe runs, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I'm sure you've had some personal experiences that would really highlight that. I remember you once mentioning an experience with your father. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad died in my arms. And for those listeners out there that have lost someone, you know, they know how that might feel. And, uh, but literally on the, 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 the day that we were going to drive down from his house after he had passed away, this is about five days later. Um, I was sleeping in his bed because we had all the family over and we were going to drive down to Saratoga, which is at the bottom of Silicon Valley, kind of nestled against the mountains, a beautiful area of the world. And uh, we had the funeral plan that day. And sure enough, uh, you know, when we wake up, we, we, we go from, we come from what's called Delta. That's the lowest point of sleep when you're really, really deep in sleep in what's called the well of dreams. And then you come up through theta and other things. You go through what's called hypnagogic right before you wake up. That's that sort of twilight you have when you're just waking up and you're kind of coming back into this world. And you're still lingering a little bit in the other world of sleep. And I just heard him as clear as a bell lean right over to me. I felt the bed almost depressed a little bit. And he just whispered in my, in my ear. Hi, Rob. Thanks. Wow. 
And I was overwhelmed with tears. So beautiful, incredible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, wonderful thing. Yes. It's It's a journey that we all take. And we take with our loved ones as well. Mm. So, you know, that's, I'm sure, going to weave in a lot in our conversation this evening. I'm so curious how you came to be where you are in your journey. How did you start out? What, like, first drew you into all of this? Is it really just that experience in 1977, or was there something before then? Well, there really was something. There really was something before then. You know, when I was a, a, a young boy, I, I remember very distinctly uh, a few things happening. Sitting on the lawn at one point, and there was a group of people that I seemed to know, and they were almost they were, you know, apparition-like, and they were it was as if they were waving goodbye to me. Hmm. I didn't know really, really what that was about, and I later kind of learned that uh, they weren't really saying goodbye to me. They, they were saying goodbye to a portion, a, a period where, uh, as I was growing up, that that direct contact that I had with people on the other side was was going to shift, and I wouldn't see them with such frequency. Well, when I was a boy, I would see men and women in the room, and sometimes children, and, and they, they are what's called pro-torso semi-etheric apparitions. Mm-hmm. When you say boy, like what age are you referring to? Mm-hmm. Oh, this would be clear back. I mean, I remember even when I was young as five, uh, okay. seeing people that were standing in the room that I could see through. And by the time I was about seven and a half, around there, I was taking to Reverend John Roger Hinkins, who I found out just only a week ago had made his transition uh, not too too long ago even. And um, I still have the reel-to-reel tapes, you know, that they recorded me on uh, incredibly because I would, I'd be taken to them. And they'd say, now tell me, what is it that's going on in the middle of the night? And I would say, well, there's, there's people in the middle of the night, and you can kind of see through them. And it's not like they actually talked to me. It was more like I was a witness to something that was kind of going on anyway, regardless. Oh. Uh-huh. And, and then... They would say, well, tell me about them again. I said, well, you must have seen them. You know, they, they look just like we do. In fact, as far as people passing over, they, they continue to look pretty much like they look in this life, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps more youthful, younger, uh, slightly di- maybe slightly different proportions. You may see them fluctuate a bit in, in their light body, but I would see... Um, people on the other side, and I would tell my mom this, and so they were very curious, and in 1966, when I turned 11 that year, you know, that was, you know, you, you can imagine, I, we used to have neighbors over, we used to have friends over at the house, and my mother would bring over as a group of women in San Jose, they were bigger, oh, women pilots, and and they would come over, and uh, they, we had a reputation in those days, Cynthia. They would say, if the furniture's moving by itself, you're probably over at the Pirellis house. <laughs> <laughs> because we had we had seances. They tried to pierce veils into the other side. They were poking holes into the other side. We're going to make contact. And then I would say, well, I've... I see these people, and then you know they would try to to make direct contact with departed loved ones, and 
never knowing that, you know, by, by the time I was 22, that this would start to be a journey about extraterrestrials, which really, really was a little bit on the table then, but not mm-hmm. not 1966. So, so I was, I was very lucky. I was very exposed to this science of, of um, the material and non-material plane uh, for, since I was a young boy. So I almost have never known a time when people, you know, when, when you were trying to make contact with the other side, whether it be prayer, meditation, or direct contact with the channel, trans channel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you mentioned 66 because our guest last night, David Sarita, uh, was talking about seeing a UFO here in Albany where I was going to elementary school, only by then I was out of elementary school. And he said that everyone was like, you know, knocking on houses to come out and see this UFO. Now, if you, you come to Albany, it's like the most quiet little town. It doesn't seem like anything that that kind of thing would go on and <laughs> go on. And, and so San Jose is only an hour from Albany. So apparently this area was receiving visitors and openly. I've heard this. I like David very much. Very nice guy. Very, very savvy guy. You know, and mm-hmm. yeah, you have had sightings that are going on right now. Only a week or two ago, that was up above the Albany, and and uh, there's something above the Oakland, San Francisco area that's always been, you know, that area also of uh, the Napa area, and then crossing over to Marin and all that. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the extraterrestrials like wealthy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marin would be where they'd find them. Little <laughs> really? Saratoga too. <laughs> yeah, it was a wonderful time in the '70s, Saratoga. You know, people don't know really what the Bay Area looked like back then, but it was a remarkable time. And I, I remember very distinctly the little metaphysical bookstore in in Los Gatos. You know, where I mm-hmm. where I discovered. You know, UFO magazine. I didn't even know they had anything like that. Uh, Alien meetings by Brad Steiger. Oh uh, my goodness! Strange, strangers among us. You know, um, and you know those kind of books. They were the predecessors uh, in those days to what we have now is a long library of testimony of extraterrestrial science. But in those days, you know, we'd pick that book off the shelf and we'd say, "Have you have you read this?" My I mean, my mind is just absolutely blown that, you know, people are claiming they've already had contact. And and then now, you know, 30 years later, you know, now, you know, you have everybody kind of coming out of the closet saying, well, I've had an encounter, you know, and they tell you about it. And, you know, or they meet you and they, they have, a, you know, all of a sudden, I've always wanted to meet you. And I want to tell you this story. And I hear the darndest things, you know, what's colorful. You know, as I listen to you speak of it, I I don't pick up any tones of anything sinister, dark, and I'm I'm I feel happy about that personally. Yeah. I mean, what would you say your your experience in in this kind of contact? What overtone do you get? What what I take away from it, and this is what I've been saying in most of my radio shows, or or lectures, what have you. Um, you know, we get sidetracked by this little gray guy, you know, the, the iconic gray man with his big black almond-shaped eyes and his spindly arms. And 
something very dramatic. But actually, I, I think that uh, what what is being left out of the narrative really is that there are men and women that are coming here that are just like you and I. Mm-hmm. They've benefited from greater time and greater knowledge, and mm-hmm. they've mastered uh, a number of critical things. And that would be like what we would, you know, on this planet, I not to get into too personal growth about this story, but it is a personal growth story. And that is, um, you know, they've mastered things like the virtues, tolerance, selflessness, forgiveness, kindness, compassion, unconditional love. And they've risen to a higher plane of existence. And then their technological aspect has matched uh, a, a more spiritual-based um, uh, existence. And, and so then eventually they have come trepsing through the long distances it would take to even get here. Because actually Earth is an outpost. It's, it's actually uh, it's not really considered in a busy area of the universe by cosmologists. We're almost an outpost. But um, they they are coming here, and I believe um, they are coming here because they have a they're vested in our DNA. They are vested in this process of birth, learning all life's lessons, uh, the karmic bound souls that lovingly are brave enough to come and be born in the material world, and then uh, live out their existence here and learn all the mastery of the different things and. And it can be beautiful and it can be terrifying. And then they return back to source. And we find out that men and women are coming here. And I believe very strongly that they are coming out of this area of uh, what we call the, the Pleiades. It says right. in the last books of the mm-hmm. that you are descendants of the house of Pleiades. Mm-hmm. Times. And so you'd have to, have to ask yourself, why would the prophet well, even take time to write that, you know? Right, and and the traditions all around the the globe, all the ethnic tr- traditions talk about that. I always felt that the Pleiades seeded us; that we are they're like our parents, and they're just watching us grow up. It's exactly it. It's simplified. That's exactly it in a nutshell. You know, um, there's a wonderful. I can mention a few names here. There's a wonderful book. I always. Uh, Couple of, there's a few books that, that that I recommend, but one of them on this subject matter is is by Barbara Marciniak, and it's called Path of Empowerment. Mm-hmm. And it's really a personal. It's, I know channeled material is subjective. I get it, um, but I but I also see that in that book is a treatise on the human experience as they might view it, uh, and as uh, we come here. Um, you know, in, in a very serious growth expansion experience in the lower realms, which we call third dimensional reality, and then um, and that they are they are watching over this, and that's probably there. You know, other others have, have validated this, and I would say that I found it to be you know, pretty close to what I feel is pretty accurate here. You know. Hmm. And so, like, I'm so curious in your contact experiences have you felt like they're teaching you some lessons or they're just observing you is there like a two-way communication going on or or they're just observing well actually both uh some come here and observing you'll notice in in the in the great quest for disclosure and all what's going on here you ever notice that you look for consistencies one is 
Producers that are here are always slightly out of, they're always uh, distant. They don't even allow themselves to be photographed. Uh, you know, outside of maybe the odd one that captures a photograph, but they're non-intrusive on both their craft and their direct visitations. Another one is that they're not intrusive in any way uh, when they pass through, um, you know, right outside your home, believe it or not, or when they're passing over with a, um, you know, a group of, of them, you know, might pass over a city and you might see them as small lights that pass over very quickly. Uh, and then with the flip side, and the flip side is, is that there are, that they are uh, actually walking around you and you are inspired by them. You actually, you actually, when you often have an inspiring moment or say a warning, uh, maybe of like, gee, I don't think I really should go down there today. That, you know, sometimes that's them talking to you. Now that doesn't mean just extraterrestrials. That's, that's a committee. That's a guide team that's walking okay. with you. And, and yeah, that, there's layers to that. We can get into that in the show, maybe a little later, but the, uh, later, but there's, there's layers to, you know, the higher ups, the, the seraphim, the cherubim, the angelics, and then it comes on down to various life form until eventually you have spirits that are just walking around you. And you don't even know, you think all your thoughts are your own, but actually you're sharing the space, uh, with some of them, and, and you hear them in your own mind's voice. Right, that right. comforting, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the, I, I think the old world view is to see ourselves as separate, and and as we're becoming more conscious, we're realizing that we're in this sea, of, a sea of consciousness. Sure. And, and that our thoughts are all, it's like the stream of consciousness is intermingling, you know, one of the things that I think about is like how much the media makes an effort to terrorize us with, oh, they're going to come and conquer oh. us and you know, take over the world. And I'm thinking, wait a moment. I remember Bob Dean saying that they've been here over 10,000 years. If they were oh. going to do that, they'd have done it already. <laughs> you know? What, I love what? Bob Dean. I, um, uh-huh. I was very fortunate last year, contacting the desert to receive his Lifetime Achievement Award on behalf of him and to give a speech on behalf of Bob Dean. And I, I was shocked that they chose me because why wouldn't you go for one of those bigger names on the poster, you know? But I was um, very humbled uh, to be asked to speak on behalf of him. And um, I said some very flowering words that, that are really true to his spirit, which, you know, Bob was a consummate gentleman. Absolutely a class act in every sense of the word. Uh, charming. And maybe for our audience that, that that doesn't know him, you might just give a little background w- what, you know, what he did, where he came from. What, Bob was in the I'm air. sure there are some that don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Major Bob Jean, I mean, Bob was in the Air Force, and he was really involved in some of the early cases, like Roswell, some of the other cases that came after that, um, he was decorated. Uh, he was, um, you know, a veteran and spoke um, not only uh, later on in his life about extraterrestrials, but spoke um, early, early on, too. I think people don't know that, you know, Bob addressed uh, the military, addressed um, 
veterans, uh, addressed hospice patients, um, wounded veterans. Um, in every sense of the word, he was really a humanitarian. And, uh, when and he, he had top-secret clearance, didn't he? And he had top-secret clearance, yeah. You right. know, the places where they wouldn't invite me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But yeah, he had top secret clearance to a lot of classified stuff, sure. Well, yeah, I remember him mentioning that they, that his superior officer had given him this material to look at, which the military had been studying uh, extraterrestrial UFO influence. Over the past 10,000 years, they had reviewed history and came to the conclusion that they'd been here a long time and that there was records of them all around the planet. Sure, absolutely, without question. You know, it's it, show me somebody that doubts exactly this conversation that we're having, or um, doubts the existence of extraterrestrials, and I'll show you somebody that hasn't done their homework. Because if the, if you've done enough, just a small amount of research, um, you find that oh, it, it would, uh, it's almost crazy to, to look at it in infinity and the infinite amount of uh, stars and and everything else and all these reports of UFOs and not think that there is, you know, something uh, that is here. There, there has always been a governing body on planet Earth. There's always been a, a spiritual hierarchy long before Christ, long before even recorded history as we know it, you know, before the pyramids or, mm-hmm. you know, Dendera, you know, and all these areas of Egypt, they, they, they were, they were always here in one form or another. And I know, you know, if you want to, you know, say that the Earth has flipped its axis about every 24, every 26,000 years, it's probably pretty accurate, you know, from what, they, you know, what, what they're finding. But, um, you know, you have to go to the experts for that. You know, there's, you know, there's some great people out there that, that do that kind of work. I'm, I'm a student too, you know, Kenzie. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy always just sort of, you know, listening at these expos and trying to, you know, trying to piece the puzzle together myself. Right. Well, you've had quite an opportunity to hear a broad spectrum of possibilities as to what this contact means. Like you're speaking now of the spiritual hierarchy and and being here even before Christ. And I'm, you know, so curious as to, well, okay, I thought the Christ energy was infinite. So are you meaning the embodiment of the incarnation of Jesus, or you know, yeah. <laughs> like my mind just went off there. No, recorded history as we know it. Yeah, of course. You know, Christ has existed. You know, infinite. Uh, you know, that that goes. I don't think the mind has even room for that. Um, but I'm just talking about his recorded embodiment uh-huh. for this world. You know, and. Uh, you know, so the world didn't start with Christ. He, he came here, you know, in, in the Christ light, the Christ energies, uh, as we understand them to whatever small degree we have, you know, probably been here for a long, long time before the physical incarnation and, and then prophets trying to foretell the story of what happened while he was here, which probably has a lot of accuracy in it, but, you know, wonders knows, and they I think that when we pass on from the world here, we, we, we get to solve the great mystery and you have access to everything. And you kind of wake up like you've woken from a dream, you know, and you see By the truth. Way, we're coming up on break. So we're just, uh, we'll take up some of this conversation on the other side of the break. I do want to explore the idea of uh, 
after we pass over and consciousness, uh, we have two minutes. I shouldn't have cut you off so soon. I'm sorry, my dear. No, <laughs> So uh, I think I'll postulate the question here, and then we can uh, take it over. So, you know, when we cross over to the other side, you know, many want to contact those who've gone on. And I'm just so curious if you've noticed any information about how long they are accessible. Because it seems to me that when we return to the all that is, we still have connection, but now we are exposed to such an expansive realm that, you know, maybe our checking in is fading as, as time is passing. I don't know. What's your sense of it? Well, the 30-second version, since we're going to commercial, would be yes. Right. Uh, they are most evident here when they pass. And um, as, uh, you know, several weeks and then months pass, uh, they, they do pull their energy back, and they do go on to other assignments, but they do check back in throughout your whole life. Okay, so you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight.com. Our show tonight is Extraterrestrials and the Nature of Reality. And our guest is Robert Perala. Side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. We're speaking with Robert Perala on extraterrestrials and the nature of existence. And uh, we were just having a conversation 
about extraterrestrials and their influence on the planet and also about our energy as we cross over. Robert, where would you like to take up? Where would you like to continue? Um, let's go to um, um, a little bit about how we can be responsible to our, to our, to our own life and, and make a connection to the other side. You know, I'm a big fan of James Van Brock. It's a lovely book out there called um, um, now now it's now 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 I'm on the radio and I can't think of it. Um, uh, I'll think of it in a second. Uh, but uh, I was in this workshop uh, over the weekend in at the New Living Expo where I saw you actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's important that people learn to sit still. You know, um, I, when I was a kid. One of the big influences I had was, um, you remember in 1967, you know, I don't know if, <laughs> if you could remember that that far, but in 1967, the Beatles went to go see Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in the Himalayas. It's in a, it's in, it's in actually in an ashram. It's where uh, the um, Ganges meets the plains of uh, in Rishikesh, uh, where, where um, in Rishikesh. Anyway, and they asked John Lennon when he got back, what did you learn from this? Himalayan master, um, who um, people forget that, that John and George actually stayed there for two and a half months um, during the height of uh, their fame. And when he got back, he said, what did you learn? And he said, we learned that he said that you had to sit still or you're never going to know. And that's yeah. been my whole life, you know. Um, most of us don't sit still and calm our mind and have even enough faith to, to receive necessarily. Um, and it's about sitting still every day. Uh, try, try to stay to a certain time if you can. I know that's very difficult. We're all very busy. But it's important that if you want to feel that sense of connection to the other side, it's a practice, and it takes a, it takes a while. It's a, and then uh, by sitting still and clearing your mind and, and first, uh, uh, you know, uh, allowing yourself to forgive yourself and allowing yourself to connect uh, to uh, the unseen uh, and have faith a little bit, you'd be surprised at what's around you. And some people um, are really glad they took the time to sit still and, and uh, making a connection between the material plane as we know it here and the non-material plane has always been one of my big things. And, and, uh, and meditation is certainly a big part of that to be able to uh, sit still and allow the the whole body, the endocrine system, uh, all your chakra points, uh, all this needs to calm down a bit because the material plane is being invaded by an awful lot of things now and more coming our way, you know, so. So what technique would you suggest for clearing your mind? Um, I I really like uh, the Vedas. Uh, method of just sitting still. You can lie down or sit in a lotus position and usually take a series of slow breaths, um, you know, through your nose and then exhale through your mouth and just allow yourself to sit uh, or be very, very still. Breathe in and out maybe four to five times and then feel your body sinking. You know, one thing that really uh, you can do is, is if you can do this in your backyard, so much the better of allowing your spine 
to touch the ground and allowing your feet uh, to touch the ground. Sometimes I lie down on, on the grass in the back, my spine, um, you know, on, on the ground, and then I pull my feet back so my feet back can sit on the, on the actual lawn itself. Mm-hmm. You need to be close to the earth because a lot of people, believe it or not, they're so concerned about those cool shoes that they're going to buy. Never uh, thinking, there's a lot of people that never actually touch the earth uh, for weeks at a time because they're, they're always, um, you know, wearing shoes. But it's very important that you try to be in nature and you try to sit still and you try to clear your mind as much as possible because the atmosphere is uh, changing. And uh, some people are, are starting to notice this this new paradigm that we're entering into where there, you had people on your show that have said, you know, I don't know what it is, but there's something going on here. It feels like something is almost talking to me. And I feel like there's something, there's a vibrational difference that the, that the, that the, the outside world just doesn't seem quite the same. Do you notice that? For sure. For sure. And, and you know, um, I think part of this thing that's not the same is like the awareness of the living earth, the consciousness of the planet and connecting with the consciousness of the planet. And when you were talking about how many people never even touch the earth, you know, they're walking on cement, they're walking on there with this insulation between them and, and the earth, not realizing how our human body so needs that kind of energy, the support of the earth for, for health. Absolutely. And like Robin said, you know, Robin was very big in taking herbs. You know, you've got to, I'll tell you right now, one good way to get your body to relax better is you've got to keep your, your gut, your digestive very, very clean. A good herbal diet, uh, cleanses, keep you. We're taking in a fantastic amount of toxins from everything from uh, uh, cell phone uh, signal frequencies, which are just absolutely filling up the atmosphere, to all the other toxins, pollutants, cars, diet, the fancy red and white boxes they sell you in your local grocery store. A lot, a lot needs to be looked at as far as keeping the body clean and also your thoughts because if you if you want to connect to the other side it's really important that your thoughts are are somewhat pure and happy and that's not always easy i know we're all carrying a lot of trauma i know we have a lot of setbacks and um you know i mean i listen to my thoughts sometimes Cynthia, and i wouldn't even hang out with a guy like me (laughs) (laughs) you know and we all have that right yeah, we do. And, you know, when, when our thoughts are like that, like attracts like. So then you attract a kind of lower vibration consciousness to you that just multiplies the problem. And it's mounting. Take a look at uh, the last uh, 30 years. You remember we would, you know, motion pictures are a very big part of our life, movies, and we grow up with them. And as far as extraterrestrials go, you know, movies over the last few decades have kind of shown you a, a scenario, and it's just designed to get you used to the idea, you know. And you'll notice that we started out with some innocent things, like when we were growing up, fun things, 
Lost in Space, I remember, uh, The Invaders. Um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind comes to mind. Uh, Lovely films. And you've noticed that they've gotten a little darker and a little darker until it's just not enough, until they've just got a mound on. And I tell you, I I go to the movies to look at the screen, not away. And and it's important to, uh, you know, what are you entertaining? You know, what do you, what do you really want to see in your life? Because your, your, your consciousness, your thoughts are actually going on above your head. The, in, 19, um, in 2000, let me look at this. i got to look this up here. I'll have to give you a better accurate date. But they, scientists found that the thoughts actually were not happening in the brain to the degree that we thought that, that are actually happening above. They're happening right. in the Bruce Lipton talks about the field, yeah. that they're happening all around us. Like we're like a TV that's, Right. picking up the signals and that the, the thoughts aren't even in our bodies. They're, I mean, they're, they are originating outside. Right. The, the mind is a, the brain is a housing unit and a memory unit more than anything else. And, um, but yeah, our, our thoughts, are, I, so I have a very strong regimen of, of keeping my, th- hope, hopefully keeping my thoughts uh, pure and happy because there's every, um, situation in the world out there to bring you down into a, a darker, lower uh, natured uh, aspect. And that's why we we see these big movements happening in, you know, in the music industry and it's getting darker and darker and the mm-hmm. darker and darker. My goodness, how did we get here? Right. So what's your recipe when you're encountering your dark thoughts for turning them around? How do you pivot? Um, you know, I'm a graduate of Tony Robbins, and um, Tony would always say, it takes repetition. Your brain and your, your thoughts are like a muscle, so you, it's really important to keep reminding yourself. You're not, you're not going to give yourself permission to go there and ruminate. Little notes are handy, little reminders. Um, you know, uh, it's a, there's a design to the day where... You get up and you say, all right, this is another day in my assignment of being here in the material world. Uh-huh. What am I going to do today to move, touch, and inspire myself and move, touch, and inspire other people? So I know people will say, oh, Robert, you know, you sound like you're the intergalactic Tony Robbins now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know but, but it's true. And there's, I notice how people are getting older and they're just bent over and they're they're looking down and you know you can see their thoughts are just one of um you know the the, the heaviness of right know. and rigid and, oh my gosh and anyway you know it, it, that's going to be guaranteed us anyway but why make it worse you know so yeah it's a practice each day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have the extraterrestrials given you insights in that direction? Um, yeah, of course. You know, I, I go back to the guides. The guides are extraterrestrials. Extra meaning extra or beyond. And terrestrial meaning terrain. Um, I didn't expect to be in the extraterrestrial speaking field at all. If you'd asked me years ago, uh, it, it, you know, I, I never really gave it a lot of thought in the 80s. I was busy, very busy making a lot of, you know, making money. And, but, you know, I had my encounter in 1977, and that never went away. 
And I decided in 1994, after seeing other speakers, and I think I'd actually spoken to Greg Braden, and um, I thought, you know what? Um, I think I can do this. You know, I put mm-hmm. up a flyer in April of 1994, and and I decided that I would just call it the, the extraterrestrials are here, and I listed some bullet points of things I'd want to talk about. Got a telephone call from the lead uh, the leader of MUFON at the time, Virgil Staff, great guy, he's passed now. And he said, um, have, you, have you been speaking um, a lot? And I said, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 he didn't ask me if I'd done a lecture before. So I thought, well, you got to start somewhere. I'm gonna go yeah, I've been talking to everyone I see. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well is. And I went up at the Divine Science Church um, on that fateful day. Actually, it was July 15th, if I remember it right. And um, it was one of those days where it was like 102 degrees. Ah. And I, um, I went up uh, to face my accusers, which in those days, um, that's kind of a fun thing, but uh, all the members of uh, Move On Curiosity Series, in those days, we didn't have the internet, really. And so, you know, you'd have 140 people coming to see a Sunday lecture, uh, because the internet today is giving the milk away for free. But that said, I, I went up and I gave a talk and a guy comes up to me and says the damnedest thing I've ever heard. I want, can you come to Stanford University and just tell him the same story just the way you told us here and, and we'll pay you to do that. We charge like $4 at the door. And I thought, really, you know? And so I, it never stopped. You know, they, uh-huh. people, when they come see me, they, they want I, I present a variety show which is we, we want to make it all about them because it is about them. But first, you know, we thought, okay, well, what happened with my encounter? And we go through that. And, and then we go into a little bit of the origin of the soul and how did you get here? You know, what deciding factors brought you here to the material world? And, and then we look at a lot of sciences, near-death experiences. And then we look at way techniques of, of uh, little better techniques of, of monitoring our own life and some personal growth stuff. And then we, we take off into uh, what, what awaits us on the other side. So it's a very, my, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest researcher in the world. I, I am a finder of fascinating things. I've put them in a really good PowerPoint presentation and it just keeps going okay. year after year. Uh, but I'm not the latest guy. I'm not like Richard. Richard, you want to, if you want a researcher, go to Richard. Mm-hmm. Go to, go to uh, Richard Dolan, go to Richard Hoagland, go to Greg Braden. Those, those guys are real serious researchers that are, Constantly finding something new about an area of the world, or or the, or astronomy, or something. But actually, my my message has been uh, uh, not changing a lot, but it's always been inspiring and fun. Right. Well, I think what at least what captures me, and I imagine appeals to your audiences, is how genuine you are when you're telling about your experience. Like, I'm thinking about okay, so he went up on a spacecraft with extraterrestrials and I'm thinking okay was this a physical spacecraft was this an etheric spacecraft are these extraterrestrials in blood bodies or are they transparent apparitions I'm so curious you want to tell us about your experience I mean like what's the inside scoop of being inside a spacecraft and what are these beings like you know, I was in the California-Nevada border where, um, where uh, in the area of Lake Tahoe, yeah, 
And so this is, uh, it was a ski resort. Uh, uh, incredibly, we had a townhouse, and it was in Heavenly Valley, of all places, right? Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, I was on a skiing vacation, and I was meditating one night, and uh, I um, called out to a crystalline sky, just, I remember raising my palms to the sky, not thinking about extraterrestrials, but just, just wondering if there was anything out there, I would, I would like to meet it. And I lit a candle and I did a little prayer. And, um, and I, this would be December 26, 1977. So I was 22 then and 63 now. But and you're lighting a candle outside? <laughs> yeah, I lit a candle out in the cold, cold December night. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, a naive 22-year-old lighting a candle, talking to the universe. I love it. <laughs> but someday something will show up, someday, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, went to bed, didn't think anything of it. 2.30 in the morning. I'm startled by what looked like, uh, it was just unbelievable, really. It was like a, an arcing storm of, of brilliant, extraordinary light. Uh, uh, now, you're indoors. When you say you went to bed, you're indoors or were you still outdoors? Were you sleeping outside or inside? No, I was definitely inside, and I was sleeping downstairs. Um, now, it was, it was like a storm had come into the room. It was like incredible flashes of lightning and in front of me materialized what looked like uh, three silver suited astronauts somehow and I I started to scream and as soon as I started to scream I was encased in like um, a blue bubble of some kind like um, and it was frozen you were frozen? yeah I was just frozen like immobile you mean not cold but immobile yeah, immobile. Yeah, okay. And um, I remember very distinctly just not being able to move at all. And, and, and the, the, they wore like these silver like spacesuits. They had uh, visors. I saw no faces. They had like an orange antenna on the top of their helmet. Um, it almost looked like they were about maybe eight feet tall. And um, I had I couldn't control anything, any movement at all. And somehow, were you terrified? Oh, to say the least. But uh, uh-huh. but in some ways, I didn't have time to think about it too much. It was almost it's almost too much for the mind to to really. It's too much, you know. And I remember it felt like there was a tunnel that opened up of a swirling light, incredible, incredible light. Um, and I started to hurl through this tunnel. Oh my gosh! And it burned terrible. I mean, I remember at one point surrendering to death because I thought that's the only option is that uh, I, you can't live on fire. And I, I thought I'll pass away. Uh, I surrender. And when I surrendered, it let go of me a little bit, and suddenly it was okay. And mm-hmm. and then I started to resist again. I started to become conscious again, and then it started to burn again. And then, without any warning, I was. I was suddenly in a sphere of some kind. No, so when, I wouldn't say I can't say that I was taken aboard a spacecraft. I would say I was taken into a a room of some kind that had a hue around it. It was all uh, incandescent light everywhere, kind of grayish, a heavenly, you know, sphere kind of 
had no walls. It had no corners. And uh, I remember there was like a kind of like a black, uh, like a large glass, um, almost a bliss like um, object or something in front of me. And then suddenly, with, I'll speed up the story here, but I, suddenly I was hurling through this tunnel. And then I was back in the room, and these. Oh, I want to say something. You know, when I was in this sphere or whatever, nobody spoke to me. There was no one there to greet me. I would love to tell you when I went through the light that it'd be one of those wonderful stories about, you know, the ones I'm talking about. You know, when you go through the light and you go, it was so beautiful. It was so right. <laughs> I went through this wonderful light. Well, that's not this story, actually. <laughs> I love that to be this story, but that's not this story. This story, it was painful. And when I was, I was suddenly hovering again now above my bed in this blue bubble, lowered down on the bed, these astronauts that had this flash of lightning coming off of them and these suits seemed to just vaporize. And I would lower it on the bed, the blue bubble disappeared, the tunnels closed up, and I was lying there uh, in a state of absolute shock, which lasted maybe an hour and a half, I don't know, something like that. And I eventually threw up over the side of the bed, crawled, across the floor to get into the bathroom. I thought uh, I'll, I, I needed to get some water. I needed to see if I'm, if I'm all here even. I was in such shock. And when I turned on the light and saw myself in the mirror, I was sunburned from head to toe. And I had like a honey or like oil substance. Um, I was covered in it. And like an, a honey material of some kind. Oh, my goodness. Um, needless to say, I didn't want to see anything like that ever. Did- yeah. So, so you were touching this. Could did it have a scent? I mean, could you smell it, or oh. did you taste it, or? Oh no, I actually didn't taste it. I just was in a state of shock, shaking, and I just knew I was sunburned, and I was soaked in the stuff. And I went to lie back in my bed, and I and all I and I could still see this like flashing inside my mind. Somehow I didn't have, still I didn't have complete control of all my thoughts. It was like I had uh, flashes, convulsions going on. Uh, The image of them standing there. Now, understand that if if extraterrestrials, they they can come in many forms. They can visit you in many ways. They can visit you while you're downstairs and people can be sleeping upstairs and be absolutely not knowing anything even took place. Mm -hmm. So they're like multi-dimensional they're like coming through some kind of portal dimensional portal yes mm-hmm. yeah and and are they solid like you're solid or or have they are their vibrations so speeded up that they're not that they're more like an apparition well it wasn't an apparition like in the sense that i could see through them because i couldn't see through them it was more like they were encased in this wild light flashing violently around them and they were solid but I don't can't say for sure if they were solid because they were glowing so brilliant that it was be very difficult to say if they were solid or not you know you know what comes to my mind as you say that is thinking well these travelers if they're like this kind of frequency they may not be traveling the way we travel. I mean, they could be on the other side of the galaxy and 
to appearing that way. I mean, right. Like maybe they don't travel like we travel linearly. Maybe they are, you know, like when they talk about in quantum physics and um, what's the, when the two items entanglement, maybe there's a kind of energy where they can, they, they somehow are, they could teleport by thought. Absolutely. Without question. Sure. Absolutely. They can transcend, I think, incredible distances, not necessarily even in a craft as we might figure because it would only seem reasonable that there would be a vehicle. But uh, I believe that they, they can get here by other means that we haven't even considered yet. Well, when you're speaking of that light room that you were taken to, that had no walls, it almost feels like you were taken into this other dimension rather than into a a machine craft. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't have the capacity to say which. Uh, I'd love to have more detail to the story. Um, but after the break, um, you know, there's a series of incredibly funny things that happen after this whole episode that, okay. that you almost like your head spins around going, how could this have happened? well did anyone i mean like were there other people in the house when this happened did you tell them or did they see the stuff on you or oh yes 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 yes. well first of all my sister my my mom and my dad were sleeping upstairs when i came to the following day it was my mother looking down at me and she asked me if i was ever going to get up and i looked up i looked around and I was still in a state of shock. And she says, "What? How? how are you, why are you? Why is your face so red? Why are you so sunburned?" And wow. uh, I didn't say a word. I honestly didn't. I I thought, okay, this is some kind of manifestation or a dream. I dismissed it at first. Right. But you know, later on, when we get into the story, you, the... Find, you find that series of things that happen and say, okay, well, wait a minute, this is an this is an encounter. But that would take a number of months to understand that and I would have to meet the right people which includes Dr. J. Allen Hynek the founder of this whole industry uh-huh and did you still have the oil on you when your mom saw you not, no I just looked I felt it uh, on me a little bit but there was not much trace of it and I was just sunburned from head to toe not real badly it seemed like whatever it was it started to dissipate as I as I, as I passed out uh-huh so, wow. yeah, what an amazing experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> here we are talking about it in the year 2019. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I would imagine you probably relive it over and over. You want to know something? I've what? never had one dream about it. That's However, hard to believe. That's <laughs> hard to believe. However, I have had other people, after the break, I'll tell you about other people, they could tell me even a little bit about it without me telling them anything. Okay, so let's take it away to the break time here. <laughs> You're on the other side of midnight.com. Our guest tonight is Robert Perala. The uh, show is Extraterrestrials and the Nature of Existence. And we'll catch you on the other side of midnight. <laughs> Thank you. 
anybody in the alternative field, you can hear this all the time. You can see it in um, communications all the time with, with the researchers. That it's really tough to keep going, keep this stuff afloat. It's not mainstream yet, although it's getting there. And we'll talk about some of that tonight. But it is tough. And I want you guys out there, those new listeners that are coming in, those that are going to come throughout the night, which I will mention, is, is to think about very much joining Club 19.5. Now, what it gives you access to is all of the broadcasts that Richard has done since, I believe, 2015 um, up until now. And there's been a few of us guest hosts that have come in and helped out when, when, we've, you know, when he's needed us, you know, et cetera. And that's not only that, but you get perks that, will, that we've started and we're going to do more just to keep it on the air. In Richard's case, he's a researcher and he comes in twice a week working on this show. And right now he needs a bit of time for himself. So that's one thing I want you to think about. Another one is the donate button. It's on the homepage, um, the other side of minute.com. It's on the homepage. You can find it there. Please, in your hearts, think about a contribution. Whatever you can manage would be so helpful. You can find the button also on each page on the left-hand column. Um, it's, it's at the top. And if you're using your phone, you should be able to find that on your navigation. 